Do you have any idea what, what you spent last month over the course of the month of July? Or for that matter, do you know what you spent last week? Do you know how much you spent yesterday? Now some of you, maybe even have it memorized, some of you to a T down to the penny could probably answer all of those questions. And then there's the rest of us maybe that have kind of an idea or have no clue and we just spend money as if it has no limits. And when you compare our spending habits today to a generation or two again, there is such a, a wide gap. And that's not to say that we're just so materialistic, though that is and can be an issue, but just simply because of the, the course of, of daily life, we are charged fees and we have subscriptions and we have bills and we have this and we have that, more things that we purchase than ever. Now I bring that up, but as we talk about our focus, our theme today, we can talk about spending when we have this, this word consumerism before us and our desire to escape from that. But the challenge is if we only talk about spending and purchasing and the desire to, to keep buying stuff, then a lot of us are going to, to tune out. See, it's not quite as clear as last Sunday when we talked about escape from chemical dependency. Uh, it's pretty easy to assess, well, do I have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol or, or with drugs, illegal or prescription? We can, we can evaluate those. But when we talk about this concept of consumerism, if we're too narrow, then we'll just say, well, I can tune out because I don't have a spending problem. I don't even like shopping. Or we can say, I have no desire to, to get rich or to be wealthy. And I don't have a problem getting rid of, of junk and not holding on to it. So I think we don't want to risk having too narrow a definition of consumerism. Instead, let's make it general enough so that all of us will, will see a potential application. When we talk about it this morning, let's, let's take it to mean our relationship with stuff. Because we all have a relationship with stuff. Whether it's a matter of having no problem throwing it away, or a matter of hanging on to it too much, or always wanting to buy more of it, we all have a relationship, no matter how old or young you are, male or female, we have a relationship with stuff. And so that's going to be our, our working definition as we're focusing on this escape toward stuff today. Now, now, you still might be inclined to think that this doesn't have much application to you because it's not an issue, in which case you'd have to, to be rather dismissive of many of the, the teachings of Jesus, who spent no small amount of time teaching on possessions and money and our relationship with them. You'd have to kind of dismiss Paul's words before us today from the second reading, but there's a, a bigger issue that, that is pertinent to all of us today because when we're talking about our relationship with stuff, the real issue is not actually stuff at all. The real issue is our heart and its inclination to be attracted to stuff. It's this natural desire that all of us have from one time to another to take those words of Jesus you heard in the gospel and, and put him to the test, even, even desiring to, to prove him wrong. Well, I think I can serve both God and money and possessions. But here's the thing, nobody has ever proved Jesus' words wrong and I can guarantee you, you aren't going to be the first. We can't serve both God and money or possessions. So this morning, if we are willing to acknowledge that, then let's, let's take an honest assessment of our relationship with stuff. Now, it might be hard for us to see this as a spiritual issue. 
Uh, because stuff, I mean, we're talking about physical blessings, material things that we can touch. But we're also talking about emotions, the way we feel about those things, aren't we? In fact, one leading expert, a, a consultant to, I, I think, a, a third of the top Fortune 100 companies, he contends that we don't actually buy stuff because we need it or because it's useful. We buy stuff because of how it makes us feel. And some estimates suggest that over the, the, pan, over the course of the pandemic, online spending shot up 50%. Now, understandably, some of that is because we couldn't go to physical locations, but there's more to it than that. Some people admitted to saying, when everything in my life and my world was spinning out of control, spending, buying, purchasing was like the one thing that I could control. And we've all experienced that dopamine rush, the euphoria of add to cart, proceed to checkout. Or even if we're in a physical store, handing over our plastic to pay for all of those things that are now mine. And did you ever notice, by the way, that it's much more painful to pay with cash than it is easily to hand somebody a plastic card that has unlimited amounts of money, which no, it doesn't. So there's a lot more to it when we talk about these uh, attachments to physical blessings. There is a feeling that evokes. It makes us feel good. But I think there's even more to that. If you consider whether it's a matter of hanging on to stuff or purchasing more stuff, there's another emotion that drives us. It's the fear of loss. Why, why do we have storage units? Why do we hang on to so much stuff? Why can't we give it away or give it to somebody who needs it? Because we're afraid of feeling that sense of loss, which is what we experience when we give something away. And this also applies to purchasing, doesn't it? If I don't buy that thing right now, then I feel like I will have lost out. I don't want to miss out on the latest deal. And, and everybody who's an expert at marketing and sales knows this. Amazon knows this, which is why they show you there's only this many of this item left. And if you want to get it delivered by tomorrow, you have to buy it right now. They know that your sense of, of loss is what they're appealing to. And your, your Kohl's cash, use it by this date or else it's lost. So it's not just a matter of hoarding and hanging on to stuff because of a fear of loss. It's also buying things because we fear that we're missing out if we don't purchase. It's ironic that we talk about this fear of loss when it comes to holding on to or our, our attachment to stuff in light of the very first words from Paul. You heard them in, in our second lesson, our second reading from 1 Timothy. Listen to what he said in verse 6 again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We think that when we buy more stuff, we're gaining, we're accumulating, we're acquiring. But Paul is pointing out a gain that costs you nothing, that doesn't require any purchase whatsoever. Godliness with contentment. So if that's going to be the antidote or the solution to addressing our desire to escape the world's problems and, and troubles by by attaching ourselves to stuff, to material things, then how do we pursue, how do we come across that contentment combined with godliness that Paul is talking about? The first step might be the most painful. We have to stop the bleeding. 
If you have ever been trained in CPR or you just generally know how to care for somebody who has been injured, if you come across somebody that is bleeding, whether it's a scrape, a laceration, a puncture wound, whatever the cause of that bleeding is, you know what the very first thing they say to do is stop the bleeding. You realize how important that is if we're going to strive for contentment. And here's why, because I can even deceive myself. I can even actually establish good, healthy habits. I can start saving money. I can think through what my offerings to Jesus are. I can deliberately consider how I'm going to be more generous toward others. I can do all of those good, positive things. But if I'm doing those while continuing to spend and purchase and buy... I'm not going to ever achieve contentment, am I? Wouldn't it be kind of silly if you were in the kitchen chopping up vegetables for dinner and you sliced your finger and you couldn't get it to stop bleeding, so you said to yourself, well, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go for a jog because I know that's really good for me. Exercise is great, so I'm going to go do that. It is great, it's good for you, but it's not going to stop the bleeding in your finger, is it? So only addressing some healthy habits while not putting off the bad ones in terms of our relationship with money, while not being able to let go of things we cling to, isn't going to do us much good. So how do we assess if we have an unhealthy relationship with, with stuff, if we can't let things go or we can't resist purchasing the latest and greatest, the newest, the biggest Well, we can revisit those four questions that we raised last Sunday, the ones that I said would come up each Sunday to kind of help us do a personal assessment and apply these to your relationship with stuff and apply these to your desires to buy. The first question, can I do without it? Can I live without that thing? If not, that's pretty indicative of an unhealthy relationship with stuff. The second question Am I comfortable sharing this struggle with a brother or sister in Christ? Whether it's I can't get rid of stuff or I can't stop buying more stuff. Because if you can't share that struggle with a brother or sister in Christ, it may be because you're trying to hide something or you're ashamed or embarrassed by it. The third question that we want to ask is, Am I passing up a long-term solution in favor of short-term satisfaction? And that one especially can apply to purchases. We talk about impulse buys, right? I don't want to deal with a strain in my marriage or what's going on at work or over here, but boy, it feels good to buy this thing. Oh, I feel better now. And in the short term, you've satisfied it but haven't solved any long-term problem, which is what you're seeking to escape anyways. And then the fourth question is to ask, am I looking to something in creation to provide what only my creator can? And again, because I can't see your heart and you can't see mine, you have to wrestle with those questions yourself. But they'll help you maybe determine what your relationship with stuff is. There's another test that you can apply, and you've probably done this to some degree. We could call it the if-only test. It works like this. You, You simply fill in the following statement. If only I had blank, then I would be happy. There might be something that actually popped into your head right now. But if not, bear with me for a moment. Think to a a time in the past when you did have that sense of if only I had this, 
you'd be happy. And then you got it. Or imagine right now getting that item. What I would want you to do is to track, pay attention to how long it would take you until the next if only. Because there's always another if only. That's why that, that test is, is foolproof, because it exposes that lie to believe that I'll be happy, I'll be content, if only, or when this happens. The if only is phony. So don't buy the phony if only test. It, it is a lie that leads you to think that stuff is going to bring you satisfaction or happiness. So I know it's a, a painful first step, but assessing that and, and being willing to take the steps necessary to say, maybe I don't need to purchase that thing. Maybe I can get rid of this thing. Maybe I don't need to remodel this. Maybe I don't need to upgrade that. And once you're there, whether that means cutting up a credit card or sticking it in a block of ice in the freezer or, or dismantling Amazon from all of your digital devices, whatever it is, once you're there and ready to take that first step to stop the bleeding, then Paul has a replacement for that bad habit. Listen to what he wrote to Timothy as he continued to encourage him. In the second part of verse 12, we know well the first phrase, fight the good fight of the faith, but listen to what he says after that. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I don't think it's just an age thing, but it seems to happen a little more frequently as we age. I know you've experienced the frustration of searching in vain for that thing that you have right on you. Where are my sunglasses? They're on your head. And just as you are about to lose your marbles because you can't find your car keys, there they are in your pocket, your purse, or really embarrassing, right in your hand. Now, it feels shameful to go through that experience. It's downright embarrassing, isn't it? Paul is telling you and me today how foolish it is for us to purchase and seek after in this life, in this world, what we already have in Jesus. He's saying, take hold of what is already yours. He doesn't say, you have to purchase it, you have to finance it, you have to pursue it and get a great deal on it. He says, take hold of the eternal life that is yours right now, this very moment. It's already yours. What are you looking for? You have a, a gift that is worth far more than all of the purchases and spending in this world could ever be. More valuable than any memorabilia that you're hanging on to, no matter what the memories attached to it are. You have eternal life, he says. Take hold of that. When's the last time you've done that? Did you do that last month? Last week? Yesterday? Daily? Do you stop and ponder and marvel and let your jaw just drop to the floor when you say, oh my goodness, I have eternal life right now. I have nothing to fear about death. I don't care what the headlines are today or tomorrow. I don't have to worry about where I stand before God. I'm at peace, he assures me, because of eternal life. To take hold of that means to actually ponder that, to give consideration to it, to live as if it's actually true. 
and to realize that, that Jesus has already redeemed you. He's already purchased your forgiveness. He's already paid for it. He's already earned your eternal life. You can't buy what only He can freely give to you. Marvel at the, the fact that, that Jesus won and paid the price for our greedy, self-absorbed, materialistic, consumeristic hearts. And He has taken them and scrubbed them clean and washed them free of every stain and says, Now, child of God, take hold of the eternal life that only I can give you. Paul restates it really in later verses, verse 17, when he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And then a play on word, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. To put your hope in God. Worldly wealth comes and goes, sometimes in the snap of a finger. And even the enjoyment of that wealth comes and goes. But hope that is placed in the Lord is a hope that does not disappoint or disappear. So the more that, that we pursue that kind of contentment, the more that we simply embrace and claim the eternal life and the forgiveness and the joy that is ours right now in Jesus, the more contentment we will actually find. And the more contentment we have, we don't chase after the worldly things, but we know more and more what it means when Paul encourages us in verse 11 to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Do you notice something that all of those have in common? None of them can be purchased. They can be pursued, but not purchased. And the beautiful thing about those is the more content we are, the more desiring we are to pursue these very things. And then the more we pursue them and we put them into practice and we live them, guess what? The more content we are. The answer is not clinging to the stuff of this world as if it has any value beyond the, the little joy that's temporary that it brings us here and now. And it's not about seeking some great deal or some purchase that is finally going to be the thing that makes me happy. But contentment is truly found not in a purchase, but in recognizing that it's been provided for you in Jesus. And Jesus alone, nothing you could ever own, but Jesus alone is the source of real rest and escape. Amen.